Well, good morning, everybody. Um, if you're visiting today, my name's Richard. I'm part of the leadership team here. And we're going to have a great time in the Word of God today. You're going to need your Bible if you have it with you. Um, lots of scriptures again um, today. This is um, the fourth and final part of our series on Christ the King of Kings. So Philippians chapter 2. Um, verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, the King of Kings. We've spent a lot of time over the last three times that I've preached just emphasizing that truth, that Jesus is the King of Kings. He is our most intimate friend. He's our Savior. He's the lover of our souls. He's closer than a brother. He is so precious to us. We're in such close and intimate relationship with him. But none of that detracts from the fact that he is also a mighty king. To be reverenced. That we bow before him with awe and wonder. That we hail him as the king of kings. And so in the first time we, um, we looked at that truth, that, that Jesus is the king, that he's the king of a kingdom, that God's purpose is to establish his rule and his reign, his perfect loving order to the ends of the earth. And that Jesus came and died, that he is the crucified king, so that we can be delivered from our sin. Because while we were still in sin, we were enemies of God outside of his kingdom plan and purpose. How could we be part of extending his rule and reign when we'd rejected it? When we'd rebelled against it, consciously or otherwise, we were living outside of his rule over our own lives. But Jesus came and he died. He is the crucified king who died for our sin for our rejection of God, for our living outside of his rule. And then we look the second time at Jesus, the resurrected king, because he did not only shed his blood to forgive us for our sin, but he rose from the dead and triumphed over sin and death so that we could be set free from it, so that we could be empowered to live the life that he has called us to live. So that we would not be just forgiven, but then sinning again and forgiven and sinning again and forgiven. But actually there would be a newness of life. That the old would be gone and the new would come. And we would join in union with him in resurrection life. 
And then we said that he did not only die and he did not only rise from the dead, but he ascended into heaven. And he ascended into heaven because he chose not just to finish it all there and then. Not just to bring an end to all things for the fullness of time there and then. But he said, my purpose has always been that you would be a part of my plan and purpose. And I've not given up, says God, on the idea of my sons and daughters actually getting it right. I've not given up. I've not just said, oh, well, I'll abandon that plan. I'll die and forgive them. I'll rise again, and that'll be the end of it because they're bound to make a mess of it. But no, he ascended into heaven, and he poured out his spirit because he still believes in you and me. Because he still believes in his plan and purpose to have sons and daughters who are heirs of this kingdom that we spoke about. Who are not just kind of poor objects of helpless and, uh, and nothing to do with what God is doing, but who are absolutely 100% invested into what God is doing because this is our inheritance. Because we are part of his family. We are his sons and daughters. And so he ascended into heaven so that he could pour out the Holy Spirit to empower us and to enable us to be all that he's called us to be. And from that place in heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for us, praying for you, praying that you will make it, praying that you will make it until the end. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. One Corinthians chapter fifteen. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born, from the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and this, his grace to me, was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach And this is what you believed. So first of all, Paul is emphasizing here the absolute critical importance of the fact that Jesus died and rose from the dead. He died for your sin. He shed his blood for your sin. Your sin was what we call everything that you were doing and thinking and being outside of God's perfect rule and reign. That was your sin. And he died for that. He cared so much about your sin. He cared so much about the things that kept you outside of God's rule and reign, outside of Christ's lordship, that he died and he shed his blood. 
He says this is of first importance. That Christ died for your sin and that he rose again. He beat the power of sin and death. He beat everything that was in opposition because death was the very thing that came as a result of sin. Death came because of the rejection of God's rule. But he conquered death. Paul says this is the gospel. This is what we all preach. This is what everybody needs to understand. That Jesus died for the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus rose again to defeat sin and death in our world. And then he goes on. But if it is preached, verse 12, that Christ has been raised from the dead. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So the momentum is starting to build now because Paul is going further. Paul is not just saying that Christ has died and Christ has risen and that's it, the story's over, there's nothing more to say. But Paul is saying there's something more to this life. There's something more, there's something further. Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that he does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. And when he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who has put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Fascinating few verses. Then the end will come. When Christ comes again, then the end will come. And finally, everything will be placed under his feet. And then it's fascinating because the tense changes completely. And he says, for he has said that everything has been placed under his feet. And we've been declaring it this morning. We've been proclaiming the truth. We've been rejoicing in what Jesus said at the cross. It is finished. He has done all that is necessary. And there is not any further price to pay. His blood paid the price for everything. Through his resurrection, he triumphed over every enemy. And he makes a public spectacle of them. And yet, Paul is grappling with this tension of truth here. The end is yet to come. 
And everything will finally be placed under his feet. And it is placed under his feet. And still the end is yet to come. Because the kingdom is both now and not yet. We are those who both feast and fast. We both feast and fast. We feast because he has done it all. And we celebrate and we rejoice. And we fast because we know there's more. There's more, Lord. There's more to come. We're hungry for you. We're longing for you. We know there's a climax. There's a culmination. There's a fullness yet to come. And yet we feast. We feast because we know that you've done it all. And it's sure and it's certain. And it's going to happen. Because it's now and it's not yet. We're working towards something that has already happened. Crazy, huh? God's logic is not our logic. We're working towards, we're becoming what we already are. He's done it all. He's made me perfect in his sight. Hello, I'm Richard, I'm perfect. That's true of you too. He's made you perfect. And yet most of us, if we're honest, deep down, somewhere, know that we're still becoming what we already are. Certainly my wife and kids will tell you that I'm still becoming what I already am. I think some of us get a little bit confused sometimes along the way when it comes to the resurrection. Because even if we get the whole thing about God's rule and reign coming to the earth, we tend to think that when we die, that'll be it at last, and um, we'll go to be with Jesus. And of course, we will go to be with Jesus in spirit when we die, because Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. When I conduct a funeral, um, I'll usually say at some point, Ensure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead. And in that moment, we're finding comfort in the fact that as well as going to be with Jesus in spirit, in spiritual paradise, and that they are already in a better place, it's nevertheless true that there is still a physical resurrection that is still to come. A person is not physically resurrected when they die. The resurrection of the dead will take place, as we've read in the scriptures today, when Jesus comes again. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Some of you might be a bit shocked right now, because I'm, I'm sure this is a truth we don't often think about and engage with. But it's true, it's in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And I take it you all realize he's not talking about sleeping. He's just using a polite expression for died. Okay. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Isn't that a magnificent truth? Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? There is a day coming. There is a day coming. This is the truth. This is the truth, my friends. There is a day coming when Jesus will come again. When there will be a loud trumpet blast and everything will stop. Everything will come to an end. And those of us who are still alive will be taken up. But we will not precede those who have died in Christ. For they will be physically resurrected. And we will be changed. We don't understand all of this. We will all have resurrection bodies. And we will be taken up to meet God. And we will be with him for eternity. That's the truth that we believe. It's not just for this life that we hope in Christ. There's a kingdom in all of its fullness where there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain. When those challenges that you face fade into insignificance, When those pains that you experience are no more. When that emotional heartache that you go through is no more. When you know perfect peace and perfect joy and perfect grace and perfect righteousness. Where there is no injustice, where there is no crime, where there is no poverty, where there is no hunger, where there is no lack. Where God's perfect order of love is established in all of its fullness. And we know that it's now. And we know that we're receiving it. And we know that we believe it. And yet we know there is more to come. And he will come. And he will bring his rule and reign in all of its fullness. It's now. And it's not yet. Jesus has ascended into heaven. The reason it hasn't all happened. He ascended into heaven. So that he could pour out his spirit on you and on me. So that we could be a part of bringing about that conclusion. Isn't that amazing? That there is a day that is coming. And yet that is waiting for us to have played our part. So that we could even be a part of quickening the glorious consummation of the ages, the climax of all history. Get your head around that for a moment. The climax of everything that everything has always been about. You get to be a part of that. And you get to be a part of quickening that, of bringing that about. Look at Acts chapter 3. From verse 17. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, 
that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, that you may receive the Holy Spirit, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for the restoration of everything. Now, the thing we learn about God and time when we look through the scriptures is that very often time for God is not about a linear moment in time, like a fixed day and date and, and everything's working towards that date in just in about time itself. Of course, God knows everything, so he knows when that date will happen. But time with God is so often much more about the fullness of things, the fullness of times, God's purposes being filled up. Imagine it like a container that you're pouring water into, and the time comes when it's reached its fullness. So rather than saying it'll be at this moment and watching a clock, it's more about saying it'll be at this moment and watching the purposes of God being outworked. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for everything to be restored in all of its fullness. So it's not that we sit around watching our clocks. And can I just say, any website in the world that tells you that they have calculated the day and the hour of Christ's return, automatically, by stating that they know, has violated scripture. Because scripture says that no one except the Father. Do you think that Jesus doesn't know, because only the Father knows, but some person in whatever country worked out what Jesus couldn't work out? It's not about sitting around watching your clock thinking, oh my goodness, the day's getting closer. It's about an excitement. Because this is what we long for. This is not, oh my goodness, the world's just terrible, it's dark, it's bleak, we've just got to hang on in there, watch the clock, watch the clock. This is about saying, God, you're about to do what we have always been longing for. This is what our lives are all about. Since we got born again and the old was taken away from us and we became all about your kingdom, we can't wait. We can't wait for your kingdom to come. We can't wait for your love and perfect justice to be established to the ends of the earth. Jesus is coming back and we're excited. It's because we know that he's coming. And it's because we know what glorious future awaits us that we are spurred on to do the works that he did while we're in the earth. Because we want everyone to know this amazingly good news. Not just that we've been taken from enemies of God to being his precious sons and daughters, but that actually they are his lost children too. That his purpose for them is that they might know him. That they might be a part of this glorious future. And Jesus longed to gather all of God's children to him. And we've been touched by that love. Our eyes have been opened to the future, to the reality. And we say, come and be a part. See, we are heirs. And when he comes, we will finally inherit. That's when we inherit when he comes. So we're laboring in our inheritance now. And we're receiving it more and more. The Bible says we are receiving a kingdom. And yet there's a fullness that we long for. And so he sends us to the people. He sends you to your family, 
to your friends, to the people who live on your street, who seemingly don't want to know anything about God, to the people in your workplace, who you, by the way, think you're in the most heathen workplace that anyone's ever been to. But he sent you to them because he wants them to know the truth, not just in word, but he wants them to see the reality of a kingdom breaking into our world that is destined to fill it to the ends of the earth. Look at 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing, it's surprising that, isn't it? Scoffers scoff. And following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Don't we live in a society like that? Where is this coming? I mean, we've been going 2,000 years now. Where is this coming that he promised? Verse 5, but they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in fear in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Knowing that Jesus is coming the constant awareness that Jesus is coming is supposed to affect the way we live our lives. Jesus repeatedly addressed this subject. He told a number of parables. He, he spoke of servants um, waiting for their master to return who were ready to open the door to him when he came. He spoke of the owner of a house being constantly alert because he didn't know what time in the night the thief would come. No good just kind of going to sleep and then the feast come and realizing afterwards. He speaks of the manager of a household who was put in charge of servants to, to care for them and, and make sure they were well looked after. And he says that if the owner comes back and finds him doing his job well, finds him fulfilling the responsibility he's been given, he'll be pleased with him. But if he comes back and finds him not really bothered about what he was left to do, then that, that servant would be punished. And he says, therefore, that servant should be careful. He should be aware because the owner could return at any time. 
He speaks of ten virgins who are waiting for a bridegroom and they've got these lamps and and five of them were wise and five of them were foolish and the the wise ones, they kept oil ready and they they kept their lamps trimmed and in order, everything was fine and, and the others weren't so bothered because the bridegroom was a long time coming. And they just became maybe tired. They just thought maybe he won't come and they let things slip. And yet when he came, it was those who were ready that were rewarded and those who weren't were punished. And he speaks of a man going on a journey who leaves bags of gold or talents or minas with his servants. And he expects what they've been given to be invested and to make a difference and to those who invest what they've been given and participate in the master's business, there is great reward. But to the one who just leaves it there and does nothing, there are consequences. Do you remember what happened when Jesus ascended? In Acts chapter 1, we read it in my last message. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates. The father has set you by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Why are you standing looking into the sky? Why are you standing? Why would you be standing looking into the sky? Jesus has been taken up into heaven and he has poured out his Holy Spirit. Why would we be standing looking into the sky? For we know that he will come again. It is a sure and certain truth because God has said it. But why would we be standing? Why would you be in your workplace just looking up into the sky, waiting around? Why would you not be out in the power of the Holy Spirit, moving, proclaiming God's word, demonstrating God's word, reaching out to the lonely, loving the unloved, feeding the hungry, speaking words of truth and life? to your colleague, to your friend, to your neighbor, demonstrating in a holy life. Why would you just be standing looking up into the sky? He is surely coming again. It will be well for us if he finds us being faithful with what he has entrusted to us when he comes. We're supposed to be anticipating. I don't think we do much of this in the Western church today. We're supposed to be anticipating his return. We're supposed to be longing for it and looking forward to it. It's when he comes back that death will finally be destroyed. We know he's defeated death. We know he's defeated death. And yet who has ever been aware of someone they know or love or care for having died? 
We know it's beaten. But it's not supposed to be always a truth that we're coming into and entering into and realizing more and more because one day it will be fully realized. He's already won the victory. He already reigns in heaven over everything. But we're still in the process of seeing that outworked in the earth. And that's what your life and my life is all about. We've tasted of the powers of the age to come. We are citizens of heaven and we're bringing that age into this one. And we're longing for him to come more quickly. Philippians 3. Philippians 3. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know him and I want to know the power of his resurrection, the power of his resurrection, and I want to participate in his sufferings, in the struggle, in the clash between the things of this world and the realities of heaven. I'm willing and I'm up for participating in Christ's sufferings. I'm up for the fact that I will still encounter opposition to God's rule and reign in this world. I'm up for the fact that even though I know a truth, a greater truth, that I will still experience and encounter challenge and opposition as I move towards that truth. And I'm up for that, that I might somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. I want to know his resurrection because I'm anticipating my resurrection reality. And I'm living in the reality of what he has already done, knowing that there's something even more. I want to know that. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. Verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like him in his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord always. Stand firm in the Lord in, his, in this way, dear friends. Let's not live as if this, is all, this world is all that we have to live for. We're called to stand firm. We're called to persevere. We're called to be those who have their eyes fixed on a prize, who see a greater reality. Think about your life, your everyday life. Think about your life, the reality of your life. Think about the challenges you may be facing right now. Think about the pain you may be experiencing or the, the emotional difficulty you may encounter. Think about your fears. Think about your uncertainties sometimes about the future. Think about your desire to serve God and yet your awareness of having failed. Think about your life. What would it look like for you to live that life that reality of life, that real life, 
with more of an awareness of a coming king? What would it look like for you to live that life, constantly aware that King Jesus, who was crucified and resurrected and ascended into heaven, is coming back and everything will be wrapped up in all completion so that we see in all its fullness which, that which has already been accomplished in all of its fullness. 1 Corinthians 15 began with the gospel of Jesus dying for our sins and rising again in victory so that we might be brought from death to life. Jesus forgave us of our sins, destroyed the power of sin and death, ascended into heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit so that we could live in love and power and wonderfully partner with him. But he always promised that he would return. We would get to play our part and then he would return. And so we just finish off that 1 Corinthians 15 passage from verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit the, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It gives you great hope. It enables you to persevere. And it also spurs you into action because you know this is the time for you. This is your time. Heaven must receive him until the fullness of time comes for the restoration of all things. But in the meantime, we are not afraid to participate in the sufferings of Christ. We are not afraid to face whatever life throws at us because we are in him. And our hope is sure and it's certain. He is coming again. And we say, come Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. This is the gospel, my friends. This is the gospel. Let's be those who look into heaven. Let's be those who long for God's rule and reign to be established, for his kingdom to come. And let's passionately pursue more of heaven on earth. Knowing that he is coming gives us hope and spurs us into action. Final scriptures for this morning. Revelation. 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That's who we are, folks. A bride who is getting herself ready for the wonderful marriage feast of the Lamb. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. 
There'll be no more pain or death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And verse 22, uh, chapter 22 from verse 12. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they've done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside of the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I'm the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Joining with the Holy Spirit, we as the church say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. And verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. He is our crucified king. He is our resurrected king. He is our ascended king. And he is our coming king. Could we stand and respond together? Just to ask the worship team to come. Before they play for us and enable us in song, I'd like us to do something we don't do very often as a church. I'd like us to say a creed together. For hundreds of years, um, Christians of all kinds of denominations and backgrounds have said a creed together known as the Apostles' Creed. We don't know when it was written exactly or by who, but we know it's probably sometime between the 5th and 8th centuries. So for well over a thousand years, people have been saying this together. It's an amazing statement of what we believe. But as we say it, I'd like us not just to go into kind of religious chanting, but to think about the gospel. I'd like you to remember who Jesus is and why he came. That the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God might be a possibility in our world. That we might know God as our father. That we might be a part of his kingdom. That we might be no longer enemies, but, but sons and daughters of God and heirs of that kingdom. That we might be brought from death to life. That we might live life in the full in Jesus that we might be filled with the Spirit, that we might be empowered to be part of announcing and demonstrating that kingdom, that we might live holy, powerful, and love-filled lives, that we might live in anticipation of his coming, that we might participate in the resurrection, and that we might reign with him for eternity. So if we can have the words, it's going to be over a number of slides, and we're going to say it together. I believe... In God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic and apostolic church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.